Hello, everybody. This is TJ Schwartz. Welcome back to the Edge and Flow podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Lucas Burnley. Today, we have a pretty cool topic. It's close to my heart, and I know Lucas is excited about it. That is CAD, Computer Aided Design, C-A-D. What is it? Why does it matter? How does this apply to the knife industry? Why so, is it so frustrating? <laughs> right, yeah. How, <laughs> why is it the most likely reason for you to throw your computer screen out the window? <laughs> What's up, guys? Yeah, this is... TJ and I were actually just talking about this a little while ago. Um, man, it is, it's a super broad topic. Um, TJ and I came into it at completely different points. Um, why don't you take this one, man? You've got like the, the most experience. Well, CAD, you know, it's, it's really close to my heart because it really formed my career. It really was the imperative for me to do what I did. And honestly, it's like, I, I love it. I love CAD. It's a, it's something that I can dive into and, and find like a state of Zen almost immediately when I'm using it. It's, it's the medium of my art more so than any other medium. And I guess I can start by saying when I first came into the industry, this would have been 10 years ago, basically exactly. And SolidWorks was kind of the thing at the time. And there was other things afoot, you know, other like uh, simpler or less used uh, CAD systems. But SolidWorks was like the state of the art, the the implementation of CAD in industry was almost always SolidWorks. And honestly, that's still the case today if you're talking about a major manufacturer. Right. Aerospace, so automotive. I mean, exactly. Like and my, my exposure to it was in college, I had a one semester course. I was going to school for mechanical engineering and I had a one semester course using SolidWorks and it culminated essentially in some very basic understanding. And at the end of this, the course we were designing, well, they would give us like a small Lego set, like a, a 50 piece Lego set. And that was our final. We had to uh, basically model each Lego and then assemble the set as a as a model which is a cool exercise and i definitely recommend it for people just getting started Man, but i might have to do that that's a, that's a fantastic idea yeah yeah because it's it's intuitive you know what's going on and it brings in uh, almost most importantly the assembly side of things because there's mm-hmm. you can make individual parts in in cad and then later you can assemble them into assemblies and that's kind of a subsequent different operation to combine them um but i think we can circle back to what, how that was important for me and how that launched, uh, what I'm doing. And, and at the time I was, I was drawing mostly on pencil and paper and I was, I kind of got my, my teeth into this CAD program, SolidWorks. And I, I just really liked it. I mean, immediately I was, I thought it was interesting and important and cool. And, uh, Bill Koenig of Koenig knives reached out and wanted me to draw a knife for him. And so I thought, well, I'm learning this CAD system. I'll go ahead and try it. And, it really is the flashpoint and modeling knives and SolidWorks basically was the first six, seven years of my career almost solely. I mean, that was it. That was all I did. And I, I eventually bought a 3d printer. Um, and I was able to build a career on CAD alone for really a, a good chunk of my, my early years. And I think it was kind of new, um, in the, in the greater industry at the time, 10 years ago for, a designer to be so CAD focused and really like dedicated to CAD only. Yeah, for sure. Well, you, at that point, like you had machinists for the most part, like machinists that started making knives. Like those were the guys who knew 
you know, Mastercam or new uh, SolidWorks. Um, we were talking about the collaborative space a little bit, which when you came in, most of the people, I I guess I say most without knowing a hundred percent that this is true, but like as collaboration started to happen, I would, I would guess that this is the standard, which is you submit a physical prototype of the knife, right? right? Knife maker goes to a company, sits down, they have the knife. The knife is the prototype that goes to the factory to be reproduced. Um, when you came in, you didn't have that option. Exactly. You went straight to a model. That's right. And yeah. it, it, it was met with some friction to a certain extent because there's disadvantages to that, to having it going straight to CAD. The obvious advantage is, and I, what I think is an advantage is that if you give them a prototype, then they have to pay someone to, they have to reverse engineer it into a CAD model because that's how that to do any manufacturing in this modern era, you have to have a CAD model. And so they would turn a physical prototype into a CAD model. Whereas if I gave them the CAD model, they already had a CAD mo- model, but the disadvantage is, is it even going to work? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because if you have right, a physical a prototype, you right. know, it's going to work. It's the geometry it's been proven. So then turning into, into CAD is not really engineering. It's just translation, you know, it's just, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's formatting basically. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting from a standpoint of, again, from collaboration in product accuracy, mm-hmm. I actually think the way that you submit lends itself to a more accurate rendition because you're, you're, you've already taken it into the three-dimensional design space. And a lot of times when a knife goes through the production process and someone is doing like essentially reverse engineering it, they'll make small changes. Well, as you know, a knife maker, we're not always basing things on the most efficient way to make something or the size of the tooling that we have. We're designing for like visuals and for function. Mm-hmm. So I think that in a way, yours, your method reduces error. I would agree to some extent and there's another layer to that. So uh, when I was originally designing knives and starting, I was I was pencil sketching on paper. And then because my CAD skills were still young and developing, I would try to use CAD to turn the, pa- the, the pencil sketch into a real model of a knife. And I found it frustrating because anyone that has tried to design a folding knife before knows that if you just draw a folding knife on a piece of paper, it's actually super unlikely that you're intuitively going to be able to have everything geometrically correct such that when it closes, you got, you know, the detent location stop pin. Do you have room for the washers? Is your detent track going to totally be revealed when it's opened? Is it, is the blade even going to go into the handle without you having the edge, you know, revealed on the, on the top side of the, of the back of the scales? And is the tip going to be you know, sufficiently hidden. And there's all these things that you is very difficult without creating. Like I've seen people, I think it might've been Bill Harsey where they use like acrylic and they're like grinding acrylic to make the folder work and stuff. And so it's a very circular process of getting where you want it, realizing, Oh, the blade's too long. I shortened it. Now it looks a little weird. Got to change the handle. It's kind of a back and forth. And so what I found really quickly is if I go straight to CAD and maybe I do do pencil sketches. I still do that, but it, it's super high level, just like 
visionary stuff. And I don't Quick really imagine general yeah, flow. Exactly. And I don't really imagine that becoming the actual knife. It's just for an inspirational process. Oh. But then when I design in CAD, I'm not in this circular situation where I'm like trying to make it look good, but then constantly compromising because what looked good to my eye wasn't quite what worked. And in CAD, you can have it set up so that when you make a change, you instantly know if it's going to work or not. And so there's not like this process of cutting it out or, you know, making a piece of acrylic, finding out it doesn't work, reiterating. It's like you're designing it as if it's a finished knife from the outset. And so there's there's less of a translational loss from from your what's in your head to what the model is, if that makes sense. And so if you if you're making something that's conceptually interesting and then it has to go through the translation into CAD and then from that translation into a real knife, like there's multiple layers of loss of possible like artistic development. But I think the closer you start to the finished product, then the better you are at like getting close to what you really want it to be as the end result, if that makes sense. It's pretty wild. So I learned, I learned like traditional pattern making for folders. Mm -hmm. So for me, that looks like going from a sketch with a light table, kind of creating two different drawings. I do, I would say 80 per, by the time I leave a light table, I basically have a functioning design. Mm -hmm. I can take that. I can make it, you know, an acrylic pattern, go and start making parts for a knife. Mm -hmm. So when I started learning CAD, that part of me, it's still the way that my brain works. Like you're so digitally native with CAD um, that it's an interact. Your, your start point is so interesting. Like, I don't know that I could come up with one of my knives if I just started in the CAD environment. Maybe I should try. Um, but it's still for me much more comfortable to basically go through that kind of rough, get it, get it close to where I want, scan it in, bring it into 2D. Mm -hmm. At this point, like I am very much a novice when it comes to CAD and CAM. Um, when I first started doing CNC machining, I looked at CAD as a tool, but it was in the context of work. So I basically got to a point where I was able to do what I needed to do, but I didn't make it much further than that. Right. Right. Now I'm at a point where I'm starting to really kind of like dig in and become more curious and think about like, you know, solid modeling and like how that, how that can change my work moving forward. Right. Um, and a lot of that comes from seeing you and the way that you work and how you think about product design. Yeah. And I think well, ultimately what it comes down to is, is CAD, are you using it as a translator right. or as an art medium? And those, and that really is the fundamental difference because if your art medium precedes CAD and then the CAD is just a method for translating it into a, you know, serviceable model for what, you know, whatever downstream reason, or is it the medium itself? Is it the medium or is it the vessel? You know what I mean? Super, yeah, super um, interesting way to think. So in my case, ultimately I'm using it as a translator 90% of the time. Right. Right. Which is a totally fair, fair and good way to use it. I, I don't, I don't think there's flaws with that because I do think when you design in CAD exclusively, you can lose some organic nature 
that the eye and the pencil and the paper can achieve. So you, some things can escape your eye if you're only starting in CAD. So that's another thing. I've actually recently started to wonder if a better balance is a better idea for me in order to integrate more flow in certain ways, or maybe I can achieve a different style if I do kind of backtrack a little bit. And so that's where my head was always at. I, right. especially in the beginning, you would see like the, the machinist knife maker thought process originally, you would see knives that looked very like data driven. Like mm-hmm. all of the arcs were consistent. All of the curvatures, like it looked like somebody was just going in and making circles and making it work, you know, mm-hmm. straight lines and sections. At yeah. this point, the field is so much more dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, the, I mean, it completely runs the gamut. Um, and there's people like you who are using it in such a way that like you can't, you're not limited by the toolkit that's in CAD because it's unlimited but you're allowing it to be that mm-hmm. right. Which yeah. is you're, I mean, you're using like compound curves. You're doing things that you're, you're creating what you want, not what you're like, you know, your palette is allowing you. Yeah. Well, I can imagine it being similar. Like if you were an author around the age of the development of the typewriter and used to write pen and ink. And I imagine if you wrote a book and then you immediately wrote a book after that with a typewriter, it would, that friction of learning a new tool probably would show up in the writing, yeah. but then you advance that a decade and you get really, really good with the typewriter and it probably isn't going to show up anymore. It's just the friction. There's a, a degree of friction for a period of time that is going to be present in the end product. And that's what it felt like for me. And I think that's the barrier for a lot of people. Cause I talked to a lot of people where they think when I go to try to design a knife directly in CAD, they feel like they're compromising constantly because of the, their perceived limitations of what the program can do. Right. But if you master it, at least to a, you know, at least proficient degree, then you can achieve, I think pretty close. I mean, 99% of everything else you could do like on paper is kind of how I feel. And that's where I just have to be able to see that way. Yeah. It's not inherent to the software, what you can or can't do. Mm Mm-hmm. Where, where I'm at right now is if I go to design a knife and I do it primarily in CAD, I am solving the problem of what the knife is Mm. while also trying to navigate a system that I'm unfamiliar with. It's incredibly uncomfortable in a way, whereas I think after a certain level of mastery, like at this point I can go into Rhino. And I can do 2D, you know, essentially like sketching and make a, make a a functional folder like pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. But basically that's just a, that's a really refined sketch. Exactly. I can take that into my cam software. I can create tool paths, but in, in that, I think there's actually a huge amount of limitation. And, and let's pause right here. Let's talk about the programs that are available. Cause you mentioned Rhino. I've mentioned yep. SolidWorks. So let's just do a, a bird's eye view of what's out there for people to, to hear. So Pros, SolidWorks, yep. SolidWorks, 3d modeling. It's not really solid, you, solid you can, modeling, right? You can do 2d stuff, but it's, if you're going to buy SolidWorks, you're going to be wanting to do 3d and SolidWorks is the most expensive of all of the CAD programs by 10 X probably depending. 
it's probably six grand for a license. And when you buy it, you only get this year's generation. So like you'll, you'll have like SolidWorks 2022 and then you have to pay like an extra, maybe 1500 a year at, if you want to keep advancing 2023, like 24. Exactly. And if you don't pay that, that's fine, but you're only going to get 2022 in perpetuity. And the only problem with that is if someone else has 2023 and they model something, you can't open it. So it's, it's kind of like the college textbook thing of like, they change the answers and the homework problems in the back, but everything else is the same. So they, they, they write a code in that makes it so that any previous version, so that that way a big corporation to deal with all their clients has to keep at the, at the cutting edge and always update it. Uh, I right. haven't always updated it. I ran 2013 for like six years and it was fine. But again, there's, there's that one issue. Well, and, and, and some of this I think makes sense if you place the software inside of an industry. A yeah. lot of these software programs are, are designed for a certain scale of business or a certain type of business. Right. Not that they don't work outside of that, obviously, right. but it also, it's, there's like an order of scale. So if you're, if you're $6,000 a seat for a program with $1,500 a year in maintenance fees, like you're generally operating in a larger corporate structure. Right. 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 Exactly. And so you mentioned Rhino. Tell me about, I, I haven't used Rhino very much. I've just clicked around in it a couple of times. Right. Tell me about that. So Rhino is NURBS based. Um, it, it's fairly quick to, to get proficient. Like for me, it was figuring out how to do 2d, line work that I could export as a DXF basically. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. You can do the, I haven't done a whole lot of like, like modeling in Rhino, but essentially it's not a solid modeling program. Right. So it's almost like you're, if you create a body in general, it's like a Coke can. Mm -hmm. Right. So you could, you're like hollow inside. It's all surface surface modeling. Yeah. Right. Um, it has, a cam program plugin, um, industry wise, I think like the jewelry industry uses Rhino pretty heavily. Um, and what does it cost for just a normal? It's super, super affordable. And that was for me getting into it. That was like one of the most attractive things. I think of a full seat is $700. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not, it's not cloud-based. Like you own the software, you can run it on, I think two or three machines. Mm-hmm. Um, they update it regularly. It's very user friendly. I would say nice. like inside of the knife industry, when I started, it was by far the most attractive, mm-hmm. um, package it's, it's put out by McNeil. Um, and one thing we're talking bird's eye view, we're going to go through a few more programs here, but I wanted to also add an, uh, kind of a categorical layer. So many of you, if you, if you haven't messed around with CAD and 3d modeling, might not know that there's a huge segregation between software for modelings. And that one of the big uh, categories is what's called parametric modeling. Parametric modeling is essentially SolidWorks and Rhino fall in this category. All of the things that you're interested in, if you're trying to be a knife maker, are going to be parametric modeling for the most part. And that parametric means everything that you're doing in the, in the program is ascribed to like digital value, uh, dimensions, radius, 
uh, lengths. I mean, you don't necessarily see it on the screen, but if you create like a rectangle or a sphere or something, it's mathematically described. So like if you save the file, you're saving a bunch of mathematical representations of what the screen is showing you. But it's it's not like um, it's not just so like Illustrator something that is yeah, it's it's kind of like a like vector based yeah it's like right. a vector it like a vector in graphic design is parametric modeling for graphic design in other words you can scale it infinitely you could make a logo and put it on a football field or put it on a postcard and it's the same and then the other one is what's called I actually don't know what the exact terminology would be but I would call it um, triangular based so it, it, you see it in like sculpting programs meshes, meshes. so if you're creating yeah. like video games cgi things of that nature it's everything you're doing is creating a series of triangles so if you zoom in enough on it it's just like you've probably seen it in a video game if you played one where you zo- you look at like the grass and you see like actual triangles that com- create this shape and so it's a mesh of triangles that create a shape that when you zoom out far enough, you can't see the triangle. So it's like, it's like the JPEG of CAD. It's like the, the pixels are triangular and there's no, you couldn't give that to a machinist necessarily uh, because there's, it's, if you're trying to select things in cam to machine all those triangles, that's not, that's not how it works. And so that is an interesting discipline and something I actually want to mess around with, but it, it doesn't really apply here. That applies a lot to 3D printing too, because the triangular based uh, models is what a 3D printer is going to print off of. So like .stl, that's the uh, STL is your standard file format for 3D printing, just a bunch of little triangles. And so we're talking about parametric modeling and parametric modeling. That's the more expensive side of things. That's where the things that involve engineering are. And manufacturing. Just thinking about the the triangular. Are you are you thinking like programs like ZBrush? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. With the, they're used to create texture Blender. They're used to yeah. create textures. They're used to create models. But it but it's a different. Yeah, it's a it's graphic a different rendering. structure. It's a graphic rendering, right? It's, yeah, it's not meant to be a three a real physical object. It's that's not the end product of one of those. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah, so parametric modeling will circle back. So we got SolidWorks, Rhino. There is, there's a few others. There's like, um, oh, there's, was, uh, Katia is one. Um, I mean, there's a, there's, there's a bunch. And there's what's some, the, the DXF one, the 2d one, a lot of people use uh draft site. So draft, draft site. site is only 2d. It's just strictly a DXF. Great way to start. It's a cool program. Only 2d. I, I never messed with it because I went straight to SolidWorks and full blown 3d modeling, which I, I think I would recommend doing a draft site. I don't know if it's free, but it's, probably super cheap but it's let's very make it, let's make an argument for learning super basic 2d cad right so right. where does where would this come into play if you're a maker um 2d cad you make a fixed blade you essentially you know you have your pattern you draw your pattern in rhino mm-hmm. or draft site um and you send it to Waterjet, right right or you send it out to have it laser cut like that's right. a super basic useful application for two-dimensional cat i agree with that but there's a new thing there's a elephant in the room when it comes to parametric modeling and that is fusion fusion 360 so i recently started to transfer over to fusion 360 as my predominant modeling software and i've all but abandoned solidworks which is crazy because i was a solidworks golden boy like that was just my thing like I, i would 
I would wear a SolidWorks hat and a SolidWorks shirt to a to Blade show in like 2018. I was that into it, you know. Did and I have something to do with you switching to Fusion? I think so. But <laughs> I, I, I downloaded it like five years ago and I messed with it, but I never really it never really stuck until I got a, a CNC machine. And then it was it was go time because it has I don't want to get off into the weeds. We'll circle back to what we were just talking about. But it has cam, which means fusion also can uh, give machine code to your CNC machine to allow your machine to make the part, which all these other programs, you have to buy peripheral programs or some other package or some other like subsequent Another process. Yeah. So for Rhino, yeah. you pay $1,000 for their cam package. Um, the beauty of that and the beauty of fusion is that they are integrated. Yeah. Um, I don't know that Rhino integrates quite like fusion 360 does right. though. It's awesome. So in all, Back to what we were just talking about, about 2D versus 3D for a beginner. Fusion 360 can, just like SolidWorks, you can design whatever you want in 2D. There's no reason to do 3D in Fusion. You can even use CAM. You can machine without ever having made a 3D model. Right. And there's people that do do that. So you can use Fusion as if it was, say, DraftSite or as Rhino. Like it, it has that full functionality. But a couple clicks later, it's a solid. So it's like it's got both. So the thing is, if you were to learn a, a a lower program that's just 2D, the biggest problem is when you decide to go 3D or go down to the to the cam side of things, you you get into this convoluted situation where you're having to relearn a program and learn where are the tools, how does it work, where do I click, what do these things mean. I think as a general rule, right now, 2022. I think I would start with Fusion and I wouldn't even consider anything else personally. I think it would be an um, automatic. I'm with you 100%. And also like everything that you just said applies to me. Yeah. Because I am trying to move forward and learn Fusion 360. And I'm struggling with it because of the way that I've worked for so many years. And it's not, it's actually much more intuitive and user-friendly I'm just not used to working in a solid environment. Mm -hmm. The two things with fusion that I've had a hard time with so far are the constraints and working in a solid environment and organizing components. Yeah. Those yeah. are like, it's just enough to where if I have like real work to do, a lot of times I default and I go back to Rhino because I haven't hit that, yeah. that point of comfort yet. The muscle memories. The muscle memory is not yeah. there. Yeah. We're and close, and Fusion, just to cap off the, the Fusion hype train here, is pretty affordable as well. So the Fusion is a fully cloud-based program, fully. And so you you download it, you have you're on the internet, you it's like as Dropbox integrated, essentially it's not actually Dropbox, but everything you save is in the cloud. You can access it from any machine, anywhere, anytime, including Mac, your phone. PC, like, Mac PC doesn't matter. Yeah. It's 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 kind of like a next gen program, and the the cost you can get it. I believe there's like free versions if you can just download it at any time. But the, every little step you take, there's going to be some little limiting factor, like maybe some little annoyance or thorn on your side because they're trying to get you to to buy it. And it's like I want to say like five hundred bucks a year forever. If that. I mean, and, if that five hundred a year, yeah. I want to say that you can get a, as a hobbyist, mm. and I believe they still consider a hobbyist anybody who makes less than a hundred thousand dollars a year. Mm -hmm. You can get a full seat. That's really? the way it was for a long time. I'm not sure. 
Yeah, if it I, still is. I haven't kept up with their pricing model. I, th- I yeah. know it's changed. I'm not sure, but I th- I think I I do pay like fifty bucks a month for it. Yeah, but it's 50, re- like fifty bucks a month. Regardless, it's the value. It's 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 got your cam. It's got two D. It's got three D. It's got a file storage system. It's on any machine. It's they're not gonna you know boot you because you're like logging in, logging out, and I mean some other programs they manage how many computers are logging in because they don't want right. people like sharing licenses. So none of that's a, a concern. Uh, it's it's just slick, and I've I've gotten into it. Jumping from SolidWorks to Fusion wasn't that hard. Every all the tools are in different places, and sometimes they're named different things. But it was pretty pretty close as far as like how it's actually set up to function. You can even the, like set your controls and stuff to yeah to SolidWorks controls. Talking about scale. Fusion 360 is a really interesting um, package because I remember when it first came out, they specifically market it to smaller makers, right? It's put out by AutoCAD. Like Mm -hmm. they have Inventor. They have a full seat expensive package. Mm -hmm. I would guess that somewhere in the background, someone was going, there's all of these small shops that can't really afford our full seat software, what then, you know, and I think they created fusion 360 kind of in that environment. Like it is yeah. perfectly suited to basically any small industry. Like if yeah. you're like, if you're building mountain bikes, like fusion's awesome. If you're like design, basically if you're designing anything that you can build, it is, it seems like it's a pretty good fit. Yeah. <laughs> like well, when you get into, this is kind of way up there, but uh, Fusion's been acquiring other companies left and right, and they've been integrating the features. And one of the major acquisitions they had in the last like 12 to 18 months was a company called, I can't remember. It was, it was a simulation program where you like could FEI. You, you could select your machine because there's CAM, which you're programming it. Uh, you're, let's say you have a knife scale. You're telling what surfaces to be machined with what tool, you're telling it how to do it. What's how many passes, all this stuff, RPM, blah, blah, blah. But you don't really see necessarily what the machine's doing. If it's a three axis mill, it's pretty generic. I mean, you know what the machine's going to do, but if you get into four or five axis machines, it's hard to tell what is the machine mechanically, like they call it kinematics. What is it going to do to achieve what you're, what you're telling it to do? And it, in a way in the past, it's like you have to actually put the code in the machine and like watch it really slow to see what it's actually going to do because it's kind of outside of our ability to conceptualize when you have like, like five different axes. Right? Yeah. Works that way. And so what they have is you, if you have a five axis machine or a three axis machine, you select it and it will show the kinematics of the machine on screen. So That's fusion amazing. now does this and they added, yeah. added it in without any extra money. So uh, it, it really is with a four or five axis machine, it's almost an imperative to prevent you from like crashing it. You have to see what it's going to do. It's not going to like f- do some weird flip or something. Right. And so it's when, when they added that, I thought like they're shooting for the stars because the fact that they're adding that functionality for free and that they're integrating such a like critical thing shows that they're growing and that they're building a platform that's robust and they're aiming for the future. Right. Uh, and the, I mean, I think probably I would guess Fusion 360 has actually helped quite a few businesses kind of get to the next level. There's so many thoughtful kind of design elements and like you can you can finish a model 
you can send that model out for quote. Mm-hmm. Not really applicable to knives um, at this point, although I would make an argument that that could actually easily be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but like if you're, you know, have some bracket or whatever, like you can send it out for like cutting and bending. All mm-hmm. of that is inside of Fusion 360. Like it's just incredibly user-friendly. One thing that you showed me is like you can plug in the McMaster car catalog. So if you're building a fixture, like you can just go in, download a part. Mm-hmm. Like how yep. cool is that? It's just, it's, awesome. it's very, very user-friendly. No doubt. So yeah, we I think we've made a, a great sales pitch for Fusion 360. So now right. I do think we can go back down to the conversation of like, how this new generation the last decade and this explosion of CAD in the industry, like how it's led the industry in a different direction. How do you feel about that compared? Cause you've got, you have a decade of experience before this big like eruption of CAD. And then now you have right. the decade after what does it feel yeah, like? And I, would, I would say even in the decade before there were a lot of people using CAD and there was a mm-hmm. lot of businesses, you know, in the knife industry, obviously that used it, but I didn't come in that way. Like I learned working with completely by hand um, and learned CAD later. Uh, I would, I would make the argument that it has completely shifted the industry um, in probably the last, yeah, I don't know, five to 10 years. Um, At, at this point, that's always the starting place that I give is like, if you want to make knives, like just start learning a CAD program, start Mm -hmm. sketching, start learning. And it used to be buy a bandsaw, a drill press, and the best binder grinder you can afford, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. still completely legitimate. Mm-hmm. But in that, I also just, I realize, I don't even, I don't even want to say like to be competitive, but I look at where I have struggled over the years. And there are so many points that a higher level of skill with CAD would have just like, made my life easier and product better. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and I've tried to focus m- multiple times in my career on being balanced. In other words, making knives myself and like knowing the actual nuts and bolts of knife making. Cause I think it's absolutely imperative that you understand how knives are made and how to make one. I think to model a knife is, it's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of like what it actually takes to 100%. design a proper knife for manufacturing. Yeah. And so there was, a, but one thing I ran into is there's a period of time where I did the same thing you just described, which is like get the bandsaw, the grinder, the drill press and get started. And I'd already developed a, a pretty high proficiency in CAD at the time. And I had this dilemma, which is the opposite of what you were describing, where I had this fluidity in CAD, but I would go out in the shop and what I could achieve, not even if my skills were at a high level in the shop, the kinds of things I was visualizing and creating in CAD really only were possible with CNC, just like the general uh, feel and look I was going for and the features that I was implementing were like strictly CNC type features. And I felt really, really, really restricted when I was standing at a grinder and I enjoyed it. But it was like, I felt like I was only tapping into 10% of my design potential because I was so limited. And that friction frustrated me so much that it like kind of dulled my interest in the making side until I got a CNC and then suddenly they connected and it was awesome. Well, but- and there's a, there's a fine line there too, because I would make the argument that 
the majority of the things that you do on a CNC, you can do manually. Right. But, but can you do it repeatedly? And can you do it in a way that allows you, if, if a saleable product is the goal, are, are you able to do it in a way that allows you to sell that product? Right. There are knife makers that, I mean, are still using files, right? Mm-hmm. Like fully, like I believe Wolfgang Lochner still uses files. And if you look at his work, it's wild, fluted, it's inlaid, like mm-hmm. art knives, different market with yeah. a lifetime of work behind them. And it's just his chosen way to work, right? Right. right. I see... CNC as a method to allow you to focus on different elements of your craft, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's like a bandsaw. Like you can hacksaw things out. You can bandsaw things out. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I talk about um, Dmitry uh, Sinkovich pretty regularly, like mm-hmm. as an argument for the, the ways of using a CNC as like an art form, I would rank him pretty high. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah, because he's he's seeing a design and he's he's basically just figuring out like the method of creation. Mm -hmm. And he's doing some things that would like be pretty. It would be pretty hard to do by hand. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. And it, it, it represents itself in the finished product. I think when you take the more digital CNC approach, it's going to bear out in the style and I think that's where what I ran into is like my style across the board is like geometric, clean, uh, consistent, you know, chamfers everywhere. Right. Like my visual for like the perfect design is well in the like technological CNC side of things. Right. It's the right tool yeah. for the job. In exactly. Your case, right. Exactly. And so what I, what I ran into when I had the grinder and stuff was like the beautiful art forms I could imagine doing with the grinder differed from the vision that I had over the last, the previous five years of my career. Right. And it's like that I was at odds with like what my vision really was. And that was where the friction was, if that makes sense. So it's kind of one of the beautiful things about craft in general is that as tools progress and techniques progress, the styles do change. You're always going to have people that don't like the new style or the new technique, mm-hmm. but that's beside the point, right? right. Like, we're not, we're not making things because we're trying to, uh, it's weird, right? We make a product. We're trying, obviously like we want our customers and collectors to be happy, but I think most makers are coming back to like making for the, you have to be first and foremost, like happy with what you make yourself. Right. And, and there's interested in it. And, and how much do you put weight on something like heritage? You know what I mean? Is, is how much weight do you put on tradition as far as philosophy of design and like technology and stuff. I kind of, I kind of ride like a middle line. And when I came into CNC, it was, there was still the conversation happening about like, Oh, it's CNC made. It's not handmade. And like, I always made the argument. I'm like, to me, like I'm using another tool. It's all going through me. Like I still Mm -hmm. consider it a handmade product. This is not CNC in mass production. There's, there is a difference, Mm -hmm. right? Like a CNC Uh, is almost an extension of you in a way. Exactly. And and that's, yeah, that's, and I think in some ways you almost have to run a CNC to feel that because I think it's really easy to look at it and say, oh, it's like extremely inanimate. Like there's nothing going on there that's like connected to the human or the operator. Right. But it's kind of like, 
if you've driven a car, you know, like it's, it's an inanimate object, but it becomes an extension of you. And a CNC does that in a way that I think a lot of people until running one don't quite see if that makes sense. Right. The one, the, an analogy that I used to make, um, kind of like almost, and maybe it's not the best analogy, but it was like a tennis versus chess, like hand making a knife for me in the moment, I'm able to react real time to the things that are changing around me. Mm-hmm. CNC, you have to think well ahead. Yeah. So essentially as, as a thought experiment, it's super interesting because you have to build the entire knife before you build it. Like yeah, exactly. You actually have to conceptualize and, and understand like how the machine is going to cut. Like, Oh, are you going to crash into a fixture? Or are you like, there's so many little pieces that it actually made me look at my handmade knives in a different way. And I actually go through this like operations checklist before I build a knife by hand. And like, and I still do that. Right. So for me, I enjoy, I I just enjoy making. Sometimes I get super wrapped up in CAD cam and CNC. Mm -hmm. Other times, like I just want to go into my shop, grab a bar of steel and like make a knife. Mm -hmm. They serve different purposes to the maker. Right. So like for me, I think, yes. Do I think there's value in people having like an overview and experience in the tradition of knife making for me? There was mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Moving. But as a, I don't know, as a maker, I think if you're making knives the way that you want to make them and you're being honest with your customers about how they're made, I think that's the thing that matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Yeah. Honesty is, you know, paramount. What, what's the product? How was it made? Where did it come from? And, and such. And I would, I would be excited to have conversations like this with people who aren't who haven't gone in, in the, uh, in the direction of CAD and CAM and CNC, because I right. think, I think there's more common ground than what it appears on the surface, if that makes sense. Cause I think the, the use of a CNC as a tool for art is, is not so different than like a hydraulic press or something like that. You know, in the forge world, it's, it's more advanced and whatnot, but it's a means to an end that's similar, you know? Well, there's a, there's a couple other things that come into play here too. Like you and I are both, this is our business. This is how we feed our family. I've been in the industry long enough to see people work until they are very old and not in my opinion, like a lot of times not maybe not have what I would have liked to see them have it, you know, towards the end of their career. Right. And I think it's hard on your body. So when I look at this, I I really try to take into account like, Hey, I want a long working lifetime. Mm -hmm. I want to enjoy my life. And so CNC does play into an efficiency. Like, I don't want to say that it doesn't, right. It definitely plays into efficiency, but it's, you know, it's in like a holistic approach. I think most Mm -hmm. of the small shops that have CNC, like it's not about stretching to mass production. Mm -hmm. It's a different, there's a different way that it's essentially integrated into a maker's, uh, kind of mentality, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, power hammers, you know, presses, um, you know, there's people in the forging world that like still say that's like not hand forged. And you're like, yeah, 
It's, it's ridiculous. It's just a huge <laughs> spectrum. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, where you draw the line on the spectrum is, is an impossible question for sure. Well, and again, the knife industry, we've talked about this a little bit. It's tough because you never know. You never, if you're doing this for a business, you're feeding your family with it. You never know what resources another maker has, Mm -hmm. right? You got to run your own race. Like I look at my business and I'm like, well, that's great. Like if, if I wanted to make knives completely by hand with files, I guess maybe I could make a go at it. But you you just don't know what the background of other makers is financially or otherwise, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So you have to make decisions for your business and your craft that makes sense right. for you. And I think to circle back to CAD and CAD, we we've do, like dove into CNC because I think they're really connected, obviously. Tied in. Yeah, and so it's important to to stress that connection, but also regardless of what you're going to do down the road, I think having CAD in your toolbox is is just it's one of the more powerful things you can learn. And it's something you can learn more passively than making knives generally. You know, you can watch YouTube videos and stuff and you can learn CAD in a comfortable environment. Let's say you, you maybe you're On in college, your you're time. in a dorm room. Maybe it's it's the most accessible way to get started. You know, and it, it, I think it's I think it's such a good way to go. I mean, and I'm speaking from a very biased position of having leveraged it to do what I've done in my career. But I think it's, I think it's, it's an indication though of where things might be going on a broad industry scale. I think you already see it where a lot of young people coming in really are leaning into the CAD side of things. And I think it's, it's something that can't be ignored as a greader trend. And well, there's, there's actually something that we can kind of like pivot back around to, which is how has CAD changed the industry? Mm Mm-hmm. We're a lot of times like you and I, we're talking about making like there's design involved too, mm-hmm. but something that has happened in, in the past five years primarily is that people are entering into the industry and going directly to production. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the, a lot of them are never making a product. They're not getting involved in a shop space themselves. They're not buying a CNC. They're not, you know, making something in their shop. They're designing a product and they're having it produced. Mm-hmm. CAD is the me- the method essentially that yeah. is allowing that yeah. to happen. I, I would say CAD is an absolute necessity for the for all of those people that have done that. Right. I I, I doubt there's an, very many examples of people going straight to production without a CAD model or a three D print of, of some kind or something. Sure. Yep. Um, and, and I would argue that I wasn't the first to do that, but I, I think I was on the very beginning of that wave. And I remember in the first couple of years I was in the industry, like no one, no one was negative towards me directly, but I think there was a, a sense of like, I was doing it differently in that I was doing it via CAD straight to the manufacturers. And right. well, you, you did at the, in the beginning, you didn't have like you didn't have the maker stamp, mm-hmm, right? You were, you were a knife designer. Yeah, exactly. And at that point, yeah, people looked, I feel like people looked at it in a different way. Right, right. But I think that's faded a little bit because I, I don't, again, I don't think there was animosity towards what I was doing, but I think there was a little bit of a, a, a view of like, I was doing it 
the easy way or the wrong yeah, way yeah, or something 100%. like that, yep. you know? And so I don't think that that feeling is as strong as it used to be. It's probably still there in certain corners, but at the same time, I don't a hundred percent disagree with that because I know that for me, it was an imperative to eventually start to make knives when I had the resources to do it, which was the ultimate thing was I had to be in a position with the, the right shop and, and with the right tools to be able to do it for me. It, I had to connect the two. Like it was just an imperative for me to eventually do that. Um, and I do think anyone who's designing and doing it CAD alone, I, I, I would push them like at least try it, you know, make some knives, give it a chance. It's to me, one of the funnest things that I do, maybe more so than the design side. So I think it's, it's not something to be overlooked. Um, but I think it's a, it's a now a viable way to start. It's now a proven established way that the design channel being the first channel to the industry is, is a reliable and realistic way to do it. Yeah. It's, it's, I think not unique to the knife industry, but if you think about product designers, there are a lot of industries where the designer is not physically manufacturing the product that they're designing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, the knife industry is different because it runs this weird gamut, um, of everything from, you know, completely handmade or forged or, any, any like number of techniques up to the company, you know, the larger yeah. companies, but there's very little difference in the processes of like how someone's making a knife by hand and how someone is making a knife in a knife company, mm -hmm. big, big picture. Mm -hmm. Right. Whereas if you're making like, I don't know, an electric kettle, that process is totally different. Or you've talked about cars, like you're designing a you know, a component of the mirror. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's actually less connection to the overall product sometimes in design than there is in knives because yeah. one person is essentially kind of seeing the whole process. Yeah. Well, and, and one way to put it is industrial design, which is just the broad term that describes what I'm talking about, where you're an engineer, designer, product designer, you know, an industrial designer could design a shoe for Nike, could design a car, could design industrial designer means something that's being designed for manufacturing. And it used to be, I think around the time I started in the industry, people like me were not freelancers. They were employees of like a Kershaw or something. And right. they were doing exactly what I was doing, but on a salary hidden inside of a company's structure, inside their corporate structure. Right. And then the people outside that were freelancers were custom makers. And it was simply the maneuver of being a freelance version of what was already on salary for these companies, if that makes sense. And so it, I don't think it was new at all. If you think about it in that sense, because there's companies out there that they weren't farming freelance talent. For right. Design. It's all internal design. And, and they were doing it. They weren't knife makers more than likely. You know right. what I mean? So it's, it was, it was a freelance version of a corporate knife designer. I just sense. had, I just had a question pop into my head that I can't answer. Okay. Has anybody from one of the big companies transitioned to being, I maybe think I can maybe think of one transition to being like an, like a, an independent knife maker slash designer. And has anyone gone, the, has anyone gone the other way? Uh, well, first off, I, there's one specifically, Tim Galleon. That's the who other I was way. thinking, right. He, he, went, he went from being a freelance guy for a period of time into Kershaw. And he's I no thought it was the other way around. I thought he was in Kershaw and then went freelance. 
actually don't know. It's, it's a good question. That's yeah. That's uh, I don't know. I'm 99% yeah. sure that's the case. But he, at the very least, Tim Galleon has blurred that line. Right. He's 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 actually done both. He's yeah, which is pretty cool. That's a yeah. really unique. I mean, we thought of one person. That's a really yeah. unique uh, position. And it did cross my mind. There was a period in my in my career when I was early in the freelance side of things where being the freelance designer in the beginning is hard. You know, it's hard to get things going, hard to get, get things started. And it crossed my mind of like, I feel like I have the capital, the like reputation capital to try to pivot into being that corporate position going that direction. And it, it crossed my mind numerous times of like, is that the right way to handle my current situation? And I never, and I didn't do it and I'm happy I didn't cause I like being a freelancer, but I think a intermingling is maybe that's part of a newer trend as well. Maybe that's a, a possible future situation in the industry. I mean, I uh, would, I would argue that you and I both have that a little bit in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but not, it's not, it's not direct. Like we're not yeah. on a company payroll, Yeah. but we do, we do get to exist in like product development yeah. and also be makers on our own. We Just have- an interesting, like, your the argument for CAD right there, the fact that you had the potential or the opportunity to move into a corporate structure, you would not have necessarily had that if you were just a skilled knife maker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At this point. Oh, I know I know a guy that did exactly that. KC knives. Um don't know on Instagram. I can't I feel really bad that I'm forgetting his first name because I've met him. But Casey Knives is what I know him by because that's his Instagram handle. But he went and designs for Microtech. And so he was, he was a, he did exactly what I did where he was a, a CAD 3D model guy. He was using SolidWorks and he was posting like renderings of knives. And I, I don't think he ever became a maker. And he, he might have licensed a couple of designs to a couple of different companies. And then Microtech gave him an offer and he became a, a Microtech designer. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And so that's, that's one guy that has done that. So there is a little, tiny amount of back and forth crossing at least that we could come up with this in this conversation so that's one one possible security (laughs) blanket to look at if you're going to approach it this way is the possibility of building a reputation that you can cash out in that form because it's possible like him me i don't know about galleon but i know uh this casey knives guy and myself we weren't like formally educated as industrial designers we just did it the the like get our hands dirty and not literally, but you know, get in the industry and and design knives and get a reputation and then pivot. It could be an alternative to like the four year degree model for some people. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I don't know that all industries would permit that, but in this industry, it seems possible. Totally possible. Right, man. That, I mean, we, we should probably do an episode at some point on like diversification for the maker. Mm-hmm. That's like, a, that's always been a really big thing for me. Um, mm-hmm. I see, I see CAD as one aspect of diversifying your skill set, yeah. especially uh, when you talk about physical capability. Cause it's like, if you, totally. if, what I'm doing that, you know, making knives, if tomorrow I had an accident and, you know, broke my leg or something, I, I would have some direction to invest my energy that was like actually functional. Um, and that's, it's a good secure feeling to at least have one thing. Yeah. One hand in your eyes and you you can work. Yeah. Like 
I talk about the legs of the spider, which is like the the most corny analogy, but it's like you knock out a spider's like still working. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I've had an, enough injuries and setbacks in my career early on that I kind of realized like, oh man, like if you're doing this on your own, you need to create diversification mm-hmm. just as a security measure. Yeah. Diversification. Um, we need to we need to do a full episode of branches we've discovered that we value. Ooh, that'd be fun. Yeah. That's a great one. Yeah. yeah. Or hit like hidden costs is another one. Like we've talked mm-hmm. about that before. Like, hey, if you're making and you're making decent money, like do you have disability insurance and, yeah. and life insurance and health yeah. insurance? And mm-hmm. so that's a that'd be a fun yeah. one to kind of dig into a little bit. Yeah. Full full adult level. Full, full adulting. Man. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. The good stuff. Go full fi- financial podcast. I think so, that's valuable. I, I do too. Um, while we're on the CAD topic, like what are you working on? Yeah. Right now I'm in a weird position because I was this just CAD cyborg for like 10 years or more like eight and a half years of just, I was CAD. CAD was me, you know? <laughs> and that was like my, everything that I did was CAD. And now I, because I have the CNC, the CAD, the cam has become a big playground for me, but CAD has actually fallen way low on my to-do list because I've had so much on my plate, which I enjoy and this huge learning curve and the demand that I've been fortunate to have for some of my handmade or, you know, knives that I'm making myself. And so I need to get motivated to get back to the CAD side now. So like, I'm just having this conversation. I'm like talking myself into like getting back towards that because I have kind of like let that wither a little bit as far as how much energy I'm pouring into it. And yeah, I I can't say I'm working on a whole lot. I think I have about three or four conceptual ideas and maybe I've started CAD models on them, but I need to sit down. I've, I've been thinking for a while. I need to have like a good solid week of CAD to put in. I just need to set so aside this, a week. This is something that I've, I've been struggling with. Right. Um, and, and actually for years and years for me, like it's, it doesn't make any sense at all, but like, I still feel like when I'm working in the shop, I feel like I'm working and I feel like I have to fit in design and CAD around like the margin. Mm-hmm not a practical way to look at it. Right. So, but, but for years, like I would, I would design a knife. I would get it ready for machining. I would start to make the knife and then it's six months or a year before I design another knife because I'm making the first knife. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to come up with a method that allows me to be more balanced in production and design. And it is, it's hard. Yeah. No, I that it's a new problem for me that I've stumbled into with having my own shop now is pulling myself. I think there's a natural tendency in my brain and probably a lot of people's that the physical objects in front of you take precedent over take theoretical precedence. things. Right. And so the uh, the the goal of making a theoretical thing have equal weight to like a physical task ahead of you is hard to do because it seems not natural for the brain. Right. And that's exactly what you're describing. I think is like making it a to-do list item. That's the equivalent of like grinding a bevel and sharpening a knife and going yeah, through, you know, basically it's a scheduled item. And it, and I look at it like, I mean, factory design is a significant portion of my, you know, income. Right. 
in general, a product takes two years to develop, right? So mm-hmm. we submit a design, it's 18 months, two years before that product is released. Mm-hmm. If you have a gap, you have a gap and it's a sizable one. Mm-hmm. So we know that design has to be continuous, but it's still the easiest thing to step away from because you're like, oh, I have to finish all this stuff on the bench. Yep. It's like a it's like an emergency verse emergency verse importance, right? Yeah. So like the fire in front of you is the product that you need to finish, but the ongoing design is actually very, very important for yeah. long-term success. For me, it's actually, I basically relearn things every time I come back. Like I just spent 14 hours solving a fairly simple problem um, in CAD and CAM. Mm-hmm. And part of that is just that I haven't done it in a while. Right. And there was just a few little things that I actually had to solve for. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're doing it on a weekly basis, I think that happens less. I would say right now, I'm guilty of having no excuse whatsoever for not designing more <laughs> knives. Yeah. Besides the fact that I've become so addicted and like intoxicated by making knives because it it's like a new adventure for me. It's right. like a new, fresh feeling. And so I've just been sucked into it. But like... I still, I, I do feel like CAD's one of those things that is kind of like a bike. Like once you get that rhythm, I feel like I can sit down and I have no concern about it being rusty. Like I don't have right. that sensation. Right. But dedicating the time is, it's a, it's a tug of war that I, that the, my CNC machine in my shop is winning a hundred percent of the time for the last year right. or so. So that's a huge, that's a but huge thing. A, I think finding an ebb and flow, like I just bought a 25 ton press for forging, you know, mm. from coal ironworks. And it's like, I look at that and I'm like, that's one more thing that to pull me away from certain job aspects. But in reality, I like learning. And so mm. I think having, having tools and projects that support you in different frames of mind as a maker for longevity mm-hmm. is super important because the yep. thing that you are making today it is super interesting to you in five years may not be interesting. And if you haven't built the skills or the resources to do something else, mm-hmm. you're, you're having to solve that problem in real time. Yeah. And I've never wanted to do that. Yeah. A goal of being well-rounded from a maker standpoint and a like technologically skilled standpoint, I think yeah. is a good goal. Well, well-rounded to the point that you can, like you said, you're kind of a uh, uh, flexible enough to, if you get bored or burned out, you can pivot and you're not immediately met with barriers or with obstacles. When sure. I was, there was, there was a period of time where like, this was probably 2010. Um, I was making a lot of customs. Um, I was doing a lot of knife shows, just repetitive production work. Like, and I say that all hand built knives, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that cycle, I think can be like very, very hard to break. Mm-hmm. If, if you don't have like, even, even in it, I remember I would taper my days. So bandsaw work, I could do at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So I would come in and like in the beginning, I would look at it and it's like, I would fit locks. I would do like really final where I would sharpen knives, I would grind Mm -hmm. blades. And as the day progressed, I would have these, 
these different levels of kind of work until at the end of the day, I was sweeping the floor. Yeah. I think you can look at weeks, months, years in the same way where you kind of realize like, man, I just finished a huge project. I need a palate cleanser essentially. Like I'm going to go over to the press and just like forge. And like, you know, I just spent like 80 hours doing CAD Yeah, and having something to like, just shift fully shift like your physicality and your mentality to longevity. I think think it makes a big difference. I think CAD also has a secret weapon in that it's so what's the word? It's so enveloping and it's like all the tools are within reach. So it's, for example, when I'm making knives, one of my biggest things is the overarching picture of managing things like, do I have enough steel? Do I have enough water jet yet? Do I have enough G10? Do I have enough, stones for stoning the bevels do hmm. i have enough 400 grit sandpaper blah 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 and so it's like there's kind of like this decision overload where it's like you have all these things that you have to kind of prop up to make sure that what you're doing with your hands is sustainable you're not going to like run out of a certain carbide end mill and then the right. whole thing stops which is a scary thing whereas in cad <laughs> nothing can stop you because every tool is there 100 percent of the time so it's like yeah. you can kind of shed all of the decisions it's kind of like pencil to paper. It's like, you're not going to run out of pencil. You know what I mean? It's going to last plenty of time. You have a whole it's notebook, there. plenty of pages. It's, you're not worried about like these sharks swimming around you, you know? Right. And so I think that that does play into what you're describing where it's like, you just finish, let's say you built a bunch of knives for blade show and you had to make sure all these logistics were right. And you got there and you got the knives sold. You come back, you go to something like CAD where you're getting tons of juices flowing and it's really engaging but there's no shark in the water of like, did I forget, you know, did my oil and my CNC run out, blah, blah, blah. Right. Like it's just there. It's just, you're in it and you're surrounded by what tools you need and they're within reach all the time. And I think there's, there's a therapeutic effect to that. I think, cause I know I feel it when I sit down, it's like, it just seems so much simpler, you know, it's like, it's just simple. Would in your mind, do you, can you draw a correlation between like, video games and CAD? I would say, yeah, for sure. See, I think where your skill set is, I could see that. And we like talk about flow state. Like it's easy. You can get in that, to that environment and start designing. Mm. I'm still like hunting and pecking, like trying to figure out like, Oh, how do I shape that? Right. But it, but it's still in a way gamified, Mm -hmm. which is, man, it's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the ability to, a philosophy that's great is fail early, fail fast. So it's like you can quickly learn what doesn't work in CAD in like minutes or seconds, even, you know, when I was talking about designing a folder, like blades too long, the blade shape's not going to work. Handle shape needs to change. Like you can realize these things in rapid succession, like rapidly. And then you don't have consequences. You know what I mean? So if you spend an hour going down one path, it's like, well, I didn't ruin a bar of Damascus. I didn't ruin you know, I didn't crash the CNC, nothing happened. Like it's okay. It's like a safe zone, you know? You know, another, another element of CAD, like you, you made the argument for, even if you were never going to explore CNC machining on your own, um, it's still completely relevant. Like, okay, so you have 3d printing, Mm -hmm. you have laser cutting, you have laser engraving, you have water jet outsourcing, laser outsourcing, Mm -hmm. 
you know, routers. I mean, there's so many technologies that you, even if you're not going to do them yourself, the ability to submit a file Mm -hmm. is huge. It is. I, you know, it's, I think, I think you and I are both always going to tend towards making arguments that relate to a business, um, element of knife making. Mm -hmm. Even like for myself, like I love my craft. Right. If, if mm-hmm. money was not the goal, I would still be doing this in some way. Right. Right. So for me, like, I just, like, I look at technology and I just like geek out. Like I get excited. Mm-hmm. Like I look, I'm like, man, I have lasers, <laughs> like yeah. all this 3d printers and like all this wild stuff. I don't use it all the time, but I'll get like, I just printed a pen cap cause I lost one. Yeah. You know, that yeah. kind of thing where it's like, it's just a different, um, it's just a different way of interacting with making. Yeah. A tool of creativity. Tool of creativity. And and I really do think when you if you're not a CAD person and you design or make anything, doesn't matter what it is, I imagine you use a pen and paper a lot. And I imagine you feel a good feeling when you sit down with a blank sheet of paper and you start sketching. Imagine that feeling, but the end product is a saleable, usable, functional thing. It's not it's it it takes you so much further and that's the dream. And I feel like I've, I've felt that feeling and it's irreplaceable. Like I, I couldn't imagine not having CAD. Like if you strip me of CAD, it'd be like stripping me of my, you know, Thor's hammer. That's what, that's what it would feel like. Yeah, man. It's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So we talked a little bit about resources This, and again, like none of this stuff is like sponsored. Like these are just our thoughts on programs and like kind of what we're seeing that works for us and like what we're seeing that works or doesn't work for other people um, anecdotally. But Fusion 360, if I was going to start learning today, it's the software that I would learn. Mm -hmm. Um, Titans of CNC uh, still has a completely free training module. Mm -hmm. I would download that. And I would download Fusion and I would just start playing around with it. And hit the YouTube. And hit YouTube. Just the general YouTube content around CAD is immense. I mean, there's there's nothing you can't learn with a with a YouTube search or a Google search or looking on a forum. Like it's all there. Yeah, thousands probably of hours. Like I said, I had one semester of SolidWorks training, but at the end I could do a a rectangle with two cylinders on it. In other words, a you know, a Lego. And to go from there to a knife was a big leap and most of that was just YouTube and Google, you know, I took, there was a, a brief amount of time where I was going to school for like machining. And I took one, I took an AutoCAD course and I'm sitting there and they're like, basically it was AutoCAD for like architecture. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. like, I get it. This room is awesome. How do I draw a knife? Yeah. Like it's not, it's not, not always relevant. My, the way that I did it, to learn Rhino was I actually went to UNM um, when we were living in New Mexico and I waited outside the maker lab for one of the techs. And I was like, Hey, I know you guys use Rhino. Can I pay you to tutor me? Mm -hmm. And he did. And then that ended up actually me saying, man, Rhino is super cool. And I set up a class for me, Pat Pruitt, Richard Rogers, and Tom Crine. And that was like our introduction to Rhino. That's There's fantastic. always a way. Like yeah. you don't have to go to school for it. You can find someone to tutor mm-hmm. you. You can find a workaround. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. It's, just do it. In the age of information, it's all there. Who is the main guy? There's one guy that does Fusion 360 um, on YouTube. Do you know his name? Uh, Lars Christensen. Lars Christensen. Yeah. 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 He's, he's good. Yep. Yeah. And I've been going through some of that stuff. I've been thinking about posting some content at some point on Fusion. I'm getting comfortable enough to start thinking about. So let me know in the comments if that's something you guys would think is cool. But yeah, man, I think that that kind of covers some of the, t- the thoughts I had on CAD. And I, I, I'd love to answer questions because I know this is a topic that probably interests a lot of people and it precipitates tons of questions. So we'd yeah. love to hear it from you guys. Like, what do you what do you think? What do you want to know? Anything. So, yeah. And we have kind of a nice cross section because TJ is so knowledgeable with it. Um, and I have been learning it for a long time. So I kind of understand some of like the beginner issues, um, and, you know, can share like struggles or whatever Mm -hmm. workarounds that I found. Um, and TJ is basically just the Oracle. So I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I watched Burnley at the tail end of teaching a a grinding course, uh, like grinding bevels and (laughs) that seems like witchcraft to me. So we're on, we're on these different, we're on these different, uh, apexes. So. I like to, it is, like it's to learn totally different. You, you talked about walk, being able to like, just walk up to CAD and like just instantly you're in the stream of it. Mm. That's how gr- blade grinding is for me. Like mm-hmm. it used to be that blade grinding was like a stressful element of making a knife. Mm-hmm. Now it's not even something that like I think about, like I can walk up like, Oh, what am I doing? Like a duplex ground dagger. Like, mm-hmm. okay. That's because awesome. the, you know, I've got my probably 10,000 hours just like you have your 10,000 hours with CAD. Yeah. We got to, we got to like, got to trade mind meld. Let's know. Yeah. We got to trade. Get that that neural network linked up. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. Um, yeah. Let us know if you guys have any questions. Um, if there's anything else you want us to kind of wrap about. Yeah. I hope y'all enjoyed it. Have a good one. Yep. Take it easy.